the Pro Wrestling Bowl. 35 short stories, including Harley Race, Ricky Morton, Tracy Smothers, and Tim Storm. Along with 300 photos from the independent scene. Taken from Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. Get your book today by going to WrestleVille.com or LanceByChance.com. WrestleVille, it's where wrestling lives. Are you a fan of pro wrestling, comedy, and combat sports? Then we have the podcast for you, because we cover that and much, much more. Do you like to debate with your friends? Do we have the perfect segment for you? It's the 531, where we take any given subject, break it down to a top five. From there, we debate it down to three, and then into that number one spot. If you want to get a hold of us, find us on our social media. Search Working Fans Podcast on any major social media platform. And if you want to find the podcast, search for us on any major podcast platform as well as YouTube. Working Fans Podcast. We put in the work so you don't have to. It's the Working Fans Podcast. And your boy, man they call Dave, yeah. Dave Brew. Yeah, guys, make sure you tune in every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. like the video says and catch our live show. It'll be great. <laughs> Is that what the video says? Yeah. It says 6 p.m. live on Wednesdays. Oh, yeah. Check it out. Hey, guys, <laughs> make, make sure you check that out, guys. You're going to love it. It hasn't been live on Wednesdays in uh, a long time. We'll be on Saturdays. I don't think we're going to be live anymore either. I think this tape. No. <laughs> but I mean, hey, listen, I'm live every day now on YouTube Monday through Friday. You're on TikTok Monday through Friday. So we're giving people content. Don't Dude, I haven't seen Randy check out my TikTok yet. I'm very upset, Randy Osga. Where are you at? Randy, like the video. Help us out. We need some uh, help that algorithm out. <laughs> Let us know you care. <laughs> We appreciate you tuning in, boss. No, right, absolutely love that with, guy. Let's start off with AEW Dynamite. First off, great show. It's going to make my top five of the week a lot. Yeah, it week. should. You were live at the damn show. That's one of my favorites. We'll get to that. First thing they do is they have a tag team battle royal. Now, I will say this. I'm not really a fan of battle royals for the most part. They take a long time. Let alone time. tag team battle royals. Yeah. I know, Randy. Well, we well download it, motherfucker. <laughs> we know you don't have TikTok. That's all right. <laughs> But, I didn't yeah. have it either until we got it. This tag battle royal. I like the result. Red Dragon won. I knew right away. I had a feeling that it was going to be Red Dragon. And I figured the Bucks are probably going to win next week. It's going to create that story with uh, Jurassic Jurassic Express. What is their name? Yes. You know, the one that we see wrestle on uh, Dynamite all the time. Jurassic Express. <laughs> yeah, boy our, our tag team champions. Yeah. I e- even in this one, Luchasaurus dressed to wrestle Jungle Boy in a Guns N' Roses t-shirt. Listen, I don't know. Like, I perfect world. I'd like FTR to win next week. FTR and Red Dragon. And I would like FTR or Red Dragon to win the tag belts. It's not going to happen, though, is it? <laughs> No. <laughs> no. Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy are probably even going to keep the belts, I'm thinking, because the other two teams will probably end up fighting each other, and that's going to create the storyline. If if you check out my preview on TikTok, I literally called exactly what was going to happen there. I knew Red Dragon was going to find a way to screw the Bucks over, causing more heat between them. I mean, it was pretty predictable. It doesn't take away from what it was. They played it out perfectly. Matter of fact, that's the great thing. When something is that predictable and you make it so that people still want to tune in, that's an awesome thing. Let's go to MJF next. This was a promo that got a lot of buzz. Kind of a big babyface promo. I was expecting him to screw Punk over. I think he still will. But was it? I mean, I know you like this promo. We talked about it. But is it good? I think it's good, right? We're going to wait here. Like, let's play this out a little bit, right? What do you Absolutely. Think? 
He, he played it the right way. He left the ring, didn't say anything other than yes, it was real, and then just left the ring. If right. he went any other way with it, it wouldn't have drawn it out. By the way, we got to give the announcers credit here. The way the announcers played this up, like how much they dislike MJF, and then they're like, in Shivani, who's been very boisterous about what a piece of shit MJF is, is like, hey, listen, I've got kids that got ADD. I know what it's like to deal with that. This really is something that's hard going through there. Yeah, that's tremendous. That's something I didn't get a chance to listen to it this week because I was there live. Oh, yeah, I was live, so I didn't get to hear Tony Shivani. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad for you, buddy. You know, I feel like I'm just that sympathetic character. You know, people, yeah. people are throwing quarters at me, <laughs> making fun Abs- of me. Absolutely. Hey, Asga, what did MJF's mother say? commenting on the promo penta dark and Pac versus house of black and me and you were speculating this before this match even happened we knew somebody was going to get involved we talked about you were thinking maybe even penta himself might make the turn it's funny i think i had mentioned somebody but we we talked about buddy matthews but i think we were kind of thinking the same thing it almost didn't make sense because him and black feuded but it's like he's like under that under that spell of Malachi Black. And he comes in, he looks jacked, clearly fresh off the wellness policy. <laughs> and this man, I allegedly, I'm just joking. I don't know. <laughs> but allegedly, he, he looked look good. And he don't look like no 205 or he don't was look like literally no- the first message I sent to you was, oh my God, look how big Buddy Murphy is. Or, sorry, I thought Buddy Lex Luger was in the building. I thought he wasn't in the wheelchair anymore. I was like, <laughs> he, was, he, he, he was resting, to quote <laughs> Jesse Venturi's. Yeah, he looked good. I, it was interesting. They teased the tension a little bit still, though, between him and Black. I liked it because it played off of a storyline that is mainstream, the WWE storyline that they had, and they kept it going. So I absolutely love that they used it. And apparently MJF's mom said she was proud. Which is interesting because she had said in public before he was a little prick and they were embarrassed. They, was, they always would play that part. So, oh no, MJF's mom has done a great job of actually playing off this. She's helping. Yeah, she helps yeah. get it over. Yeah, that deaf triangle, I thought it was great pocket. Penta actually got the win, but then at the end, Malachi and Brody get the heat back. And- they put them over strong. Yeah. In a way that it didn't take anything off of Malachi and Brody King, who, by the way, am I the only one that Brody King actually reminds you of Terry Gordy with his build and stuff? From a storyline perspective, it really made no sense that Malachi Black was about to kill him with a shovel. And then <laughs> Murphy, who we knew all along, was actually with them. <laughs> it's like, ah, let me just, just murder the man right here. <laughs> yeah, just kill him. Call it a day. That being said, I thought it was well done. I enjoyed yeah. it. The crowd was obviously into it. You were in the crowd. I know sometimes the crowd was hot all night. I was going to say, I know sometimes we accuse companies of sweetening the sound and stuff like that. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you was, was it as hot as it sounded on TV? Because it sounded like the crowd was just on fire. Yeah, this crowd was hot. I was at... There was a match where the crowd was not on fire, but we'll talk about that in a minute. The show uh, in Boston (laughs) was hot, but like Rampage kind of dwindled a little bit afterwards. That was not the case here. This crowd was Some might even say it was off the hook. (laughs) <laughs> we'll talk about that <laughs> no spoilers on this program randy Oscar. right chris jericho and eddie kingston face to face this was great i'm gonna tell you a line that popped me right away before we even go further what's the baby face <laughs> i love that eddie kingston yeah, dude that got me too oh uh, my god what's the baby face i was rolling the guy he is so committed 
the playing this straight. No, like bullshit. Double. No, I'm not secretly mean this. He's just no. No matter what Jericho says, and Eddie kicks it, just no sells it and does what he's gonna do. We're a wrestling company. We're not a sports entertainment company. This was tremendous. I thought, if anything, this fell under the radar a little bit because of how good MJF was. But like this was just, I thought a masterclass. I thought, well, you know that I like this because anybody who follows our TikTok knows that I did the regular TikTok review. And then I left this off on purpose and talked specifically on TikTok about this moment in this interview, because that's how impressed I was with how well these two do. You can say whatever you want about Jericho. And by the way, he looked like he's in better shape. I know he had the jacket on, but I don't know if you guys could see it in person. Yeah. But he's got like a 12 pack right now. Even Jake, friend of the show, Jake St. John texted me, said, I can't believe it. he's got abs again. I think the reason he's been off TV is because he's getting his ass back in shape. I don't know if somebody said to him, hey, Pudgy, we, we needed to change this a little bit. Your wrestling's starting to get a little, but I can tell you this. He looks amazing. When they have this match, it's going to blow the roof off the place. Promos were right up there, too. He, he looked yeah. motivated. He knew he was going to go in there with a killer like Kingston. He was, and- he was also smart. While he did go off on that long tangent at one point, he also gave Eddie time on the mic. He knows Eddie's over. He knows the crowd's going to get behind him. He did a great job of just smirking and letting Eddie go. I I thought it was awesome. Does Eddie win the big one here, or is this a bigger story where they're going to have a couple matches and Eddie maybe beats them down the road? I think you you have to have him lose the first one. Mm -hmm. I I think that you can get big money out of this matchup by not having Eddie... To be honest with you, now this might be going way too far, and you can stop me if I'm wrong. As far as Eddie is over right now, and I know we've got a ton of guys in the pipeline right now, if you have Eddie can lose and you have him continue to cut these promos and, hey, I'm still fighting for you guys, I'm still doing this, what if eventually the match he wins is actually for the world title? I want that. I was thinking Eddie might eventually beat Jericho. And maybe it leads to a match where his career's on the line. But, you know, somehow he ends up after that, he gets the momentum. And maybe MJF is the champion. And we haven't had an MJF Kingston yet. And MJF Kingston on the mic would be gold. Dude, is your house bugged? You said friend of the show's Jake St. John's name. And guess who's now on our list? Dude, welcome to the broadcast, Mr. St. John. Yeah, that was a great set. Reminded me when Jericho was in a similar angle of WWE. Yeah. Eddie Kingston's already over with the fans, but this is a time to make him legit. And even if you, I'm telling you, put Jericho over, but have him cheat in the first one. Then have Eddie Kingston overcome and then have him overcome and get the belt. The crowd, you think the crowd's behind the hangman? I'm telling you, the crowd would be over like crazy for Eddie Kingston. I think he's this generation's Mick Foley. Although he's a little smarter with the bumps he takes. So there we got Joe. How much will people enjoy that rampage? I think they are. There's some great what, segments, like I said. Well, we can uh, talk about what matches are on there, which just don't spoil anything. No, no. QT is going to call out Hook. Does Hook come out? Well, he might. <laughs> we don't know. That's the <laughs> Hook. He's left like a coward. He is. <laughs> yeah, that's, that maybe, maybe he's Taz's son. Maybe he can't see him. Yeah, Wardlow and Nick Kamato from uh, the factory. Great big man match. Obviously, the match is going to be to start the show is Sammy Guevara and Andrade. Oh, yeah, we got some breaking news right here, Joe. <laughs> I'll keep my eye out for you, sir. Well, here's the breaking news. We're going to go to the next next match on this card. It was the face of the revolution qualifier match. Preston Vance, number 10, versus Ricky Starks. Here's what I like about this. Did Before you think match, for a second Preston Vance was going over? A little bit. I'll tell you why. Because before this, what they had done, which really was nice, was 
who would we put in this? Who would we put in this? Wardlow, Hobbs, Keith Lee. And it started to be rumors that, hmm, we're going to do an all big man. And if you remember last week, Preston Vance was like throwing people around in that melee. And I'm like, maybe. The, the problem but, is somebody in this match has to be able to take a bump. I, that's what I was thinking too. Because <laughs> that was the other thing too. It was like, we're going to, we need some people to fly around too. Yeah. Somebody, so. somebody in this match has to be able to take a bump. And by the way, there's also a qualifying match on tonight. Anthony Bowens and Orange Cassidy. That's going to be tremendous, too. Now, what's the reward for the face of the revolution? I believe it's a TNT title shot. Yes. Right. Now, now think about, and this is, is why I'm going to favor. Well, yeah, I think Sammy's still going to be the champ. But I think that Wardlow is going to go over in this face of the revolution. Mm. Hey, don't get me wrong. It could still be Keith Lee. But I think that that's going to help to build towards that turn eventually with MJF. Is him getting the... Unless MJF is just going straight babyface now and then we're all screwed. I don't think that's what's happening. <laughs> I love the backstory with MJF. But you referenced earlier this crowd was hot all night, but it was one match they didn't seem too hot for. Is that the TBS championship match with Jake Cargo versus the Bunny? I had kind of blocked it out. I was like, what match is he talking about? And I'm going down the list, and I'm like, ah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For some reason, you guys sounded a little flat during that one. I wasn't excited about this match to begin with. Jade is a specimen. Oh, absolutely. Uh, she's something to look at. But <laughs> no, she and she's really incredibly athletic. Yeah. She just is still green as, I was going to say goose shit, but she's about as green as her hair, unfortunately. Yeah, crowd was hot on night, Joe. It really was. We were talking about that. This was the one match where, <clears throat> I don't know if everybody was as interested or not, but she kind of reminds me a little bit of what they're doing in NWA with Camille. Yeah, no, I could absolutely see that. And to be honest with you, even Camille still, I've never seen a match where I'm like, wow, Camille's really good. No, the difference with Camille is, and obviously it's a smaller platform, they've put her in there with Milena. They've put her in there with Thunder Rosa. Yeah. You know, Jay Cargill's had some of those, but not all. And Jay- I'll be honest with you, when Ty Conte came out afterwards, as much as I like Ty Conte, she's another one who's not, necess- not necessarily the smoothest person in the ring. So That's this really what- could be an ugly match. That was not what I was hoping for. When she- <laughs> yeah, to to be honest, with- <laughs> yeah. I want to point one thing before we get to our last segment on the show. Joe pointed something out there. Tony's cons and the arena promos are wild. That is something now. I've been at the Boston show and the Bridgeport show. Tony Khan will come out during the breaks a little before, and he just cuts these promos, and he gets excited. And he's a cheerleader for his company. He's like, let's go. This show's going to be great. I'm happy to be. I didn't really believe he was happy to be in Bridgeport. I thought that was some bullshit, but that's because. I've never met anyone happy to be in Bridgeport. Yeah. (laughs) People that live in Bridgeport are like, oh, fuck, I got to go home. Murphy's Law, great restaurant there. Main event time, Brian Danielson, Daniel Garcia. Man. Daniel Garcia, what, what a. This kid can go, and he's getting, like, just these awesome matches where he can really showcase. 2.0 getting to be involved in these segments, too. We say it all the time. How happy are these guys? You know? They were they the might, They might be the luckiest two guys on the planet. Oh, man. And now I like where they're going. Now we see the end where Mox ends up coming to help Danielson, and it leads, you know, they, the, the match is announced. I'm excited for this match, AJ. Here's the thing. I want Mox to join this group. I don't know if that's where I they're headed. I do too. Yeah. yeah, I actually like the idea of this group. Hell, I want Daniel Garcia to join the group. I want Lee on it. <laughs> Lee Moriarty, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you put those four together. My God. I'll tell you who else I want. A guy, there was a rumor backstage. He did not show up there that night, but it was backstage apparently. Jonathan Gresham. Yeah. Put him in that group too. Put all that. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah Jonathan Gresham is a killer. 
takeover at that same arena. Uh, so did I. That's where Adam Cole won the world title. It is a great arena. Oh, yeah. Bring in Jake's got a great one here. Bring in Regal to be the manager for Danielson's dojo. Oh, oh. my God. <laughs> you know who's another be- one who could fit in there, and I'm sure he's going to stick with his dad, is Hook. Yeah, that would be good, too. I mean, maybe have Taz. He could actually uh, literally look at his dad and go, I'm sorry, Dad, I want to be with a winner. I wouldn't mind if Taz went with Hook over there and he managed him. And then everybody, like, all right, Hobbs and Starks, you guys are good. Now, wait a minute. I, I, I love Starks. I like Starks. I like Hobbs. But, I like Hobbs, too, yeah. But, yeah, like, who fits more with that group? It'd be Hook and Taz because of the wrestling style. It's a great show overall. Rampage, I'm excited about tonight for you guys to see. We should get to our top five of the week. Well, the funny thing is we're going to do a top five, but we pretty much just talked talk about most of our top five. <laughs> In fact, uh, there we... is something there is something in my top five though that is not in AEW. So yeah, I'll just read off the list. We won't waste everybody's time. MJF promo is going to probably be yeah. on both our top fives. Absolutely, Kingston and Jericho face off. Absolutely, Buddy Matthews. Yep. <laughs> okay, so that's three. And then there's one more from the AEW that's going to make my top five, which okay, is so... Daniel Danielson and Garcia. Okay, I didn't go with that one. I went to me actually going to Dynamite. So. <laughs> Yeah, oddly enough, I don't have that one on my list. You don't. And then for my top five, I did something a little different. I went with two wrestlers. If you steal it from me. I went with two wrestlers. Oh, okay. So just to be a little different, I went with Jay White and Matt Cardona. Cardona, a guy we continue to put over. He is headlining GCW this week with Brian Myers against Sean Watman and Joey Janela. And on top of that, he just defended last night his, what do they call that? The The Digital Media Championship for Impact. Yeah, He defended that, defeated Jordan Grace. People were upset about the end of that match, but he's doing exactly what he should be doing. Mm-hmm. He's causing people to be angry. Yeah, he's defending the NWA title in a couple of weeks, too, against Nick Aldis. So this guy's just on fire. And Jay White, I watched this guy in New Japan Strong last week. I watched this guy at Impact No Surrender last week. I watched him on Rampage last week. This guy is all, I watched him on Impact last night. Now that he's, you're getting to see a lot of Jay White, how good is he? He's excellent, and that's why I wanted to put him in Cardona. He's only a nine-year pro, too. That's why I wanted to put him in Cardona here, because those are two guys that are technically not in one of the big two right now. And I know Jay's got a working relationship there, and he's there, but they're not in the big two. And they're tremendous. They're killing it, and they don't need to be. This is not in my top five. I will tell you my fifth one in one second. Mr. Osga mentioned the GCW show tonight, and that will be fun. But yeah. coming up during WrestleMania weekend, you're going to have Bloodsport 8, and that is going to actually have Tim- mm. Timothy Thatcher added to it. So to me, to have him, Biff Busick, and Janae Kai already on that Bloodsport card, that's going to be one hell of a card. But my number five is Freedom. Fucking Cesaro is finally free from the <laughs> WWE. Welcome back, Claudio. We can't wait to see you actually used somewhere. Wrestlers have come out of the woodwork to talk about how he's one of the greatest in the world and how they can't wait to work with him. Biff Busick said, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for that too. I am so excited. That's, I think that's an interesting point. What if at Bloodsport, Cesaro could be there too? You get Cesaro, Cross. Thatcher. I'd love to see Cesaro versus Timothy Thatcher. Yeah. How about Jake just said Minoru Suzuki's back too ahead in the country. What if he's part of Bloodsport? And what if Biff Busick's part Dude, of Dude, Mo- yeah. Minoru Suzuki versus Killer Cross and Claudio versus, versus Busick. Biff Busick. That would be the greatest Bloodsport ever. Then you got Janae Kai. Maybe we can even get her versus like Thunder Rosa if she gets lent out. Yeah. Do you think Rosa beats Britt Baker at Revolution? I do not. Yeah. I want her to, but I do not. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. The only way she goes over is if Jamie Hayter, for some reason, costs her. I think she could because I think Rosa's going to eventually hold the title there. Yeah, me too. I think this might be like the Kingston thing where the story is going to continue to get built up. The thing uh, is, you can put the belt on Thunder Rosa anytime you want. Mm-hmm. But right now, Britt Baker is such a heat seeker right? that I just don't I don't think this is the time. And once again, it's another week where the NXT dominates our top five. <laughs> NXT. Hey, there was a good thing on NXT. That- oh, NXT level up? No. Shit about that. Ziggler and Ciampa did have a hell of a match. I okay. did enjoy that. Yeah. But we disagree on this because I think they had a hell of a match. The reason why I'm not behind this match, it's not because the two guys aren't great wrestlers. They are. You've got... A guy who you have buried at the mid-card level and buried and buried and shit on in Dolph Ziggler, who's Mm. one of the best workers on the planet. You bring him down to NXT, you put him up against a guy who's supposed to be a god down there, and you make it a close competitive match. You're basically telling me that you think your top guy from NXT is dog shit compared to your mid-card wrestlers at the Raw and SmackDown level. That's my opinion. That's what they think. At least they had Bobby Roode help them and cheat. And and Well, I guess the reason why it pisses me off is because I think so highly of Bobby Roode. I think so highly of Dolph Ziggler in the way that they're not used. And then, of course, I think so highly of Tommaso Ciampa. Tommaso Ciampa is one of the best in the world. He's awesome. And to shit on him just pisses me off. Braun versus Dolph should be great at TakeOver. I agree with that. It will. It'll be a fun match. And I'm not taking anything away from the matches themselves. Please don't think I'm taking anything away from Dolph Ziggler or any of the wrestlers he's working with. I'm pissed off because of where they've put Dolph Ziggler in in the card and how little they use him. One final question we got here from Randy. Does Adam Cole win the world title? No, I don't think he does. I don't think he's winning it either. Now, don't get me wrong. I could see him winning it. Yeah. But I don't think he's going to. I think you're going to hold on to it for Adam Cole. I think either MJF, I think either MJF, CM Punk, or Danielson are going to be the three that take it off of him eventually. Yeah. I mean, even Mox, I think, at this point. I mean, I'd love to see Eddie Kingston do it, but I I don't think you want to have Eddie Kingston take it off the face. I think you're better off having like a heel like MJF or something like that and having Kingston take it off them. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to hit up this week? No, I I just want to say thank you for everybody taking time during the day today to watch us live, be a part of this. We do what we do because we love it, and we love professional wrestling, and we appreciate you guys. We're a professional wrestling podcast, not a sports entertainment. Yeah, we're not a sports sports entertainment. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We want to take a minute to thank our newest sponsor on the show, 482 Designs. That is F-O-U-R, the numbers 82designs, 482designs. You can find them on Facebook by looking up F-O-U-R, 82designs, at F-O-U-R, 82designs on Instagram. And if you want to email them, go to F-O-U-R, 82designs at gmail.com. Pretty soon, we're going to be rolling out some high-quality T-shirts and stickers that were just done by the sponsor. Please check them out for any of your screen printing needs. First off, it's light years better than our first one. Also, we divide the washer and dryer. They look good, and they're good quality. Nice. And those stickers before Paco chewed them up were amazing. And luckily, we'll be getting some more in, hopefully, before we start selling them to fans. But that's F-O-U-R-8-2 Designs. Today at the Working Fans Podcast, we got one of the all-time great pro wrestler, 
trainer for many years. Debuted in 1960. This guy's trained Matt Stryker, Shark Boy, BJ Whitmer, many, many more. He's on the board of directors of the Cauliflower Alley Club. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Les Thatcher. Thank you. Hey, Dave. The man called Dave. Ah. <laughs> that makes you more special than just being Dave, right? You know, there were so many Daves to borrow from like pro wrestling. I wanted to make myself stand out. So, man, I guess I want to start off like, you know, so many of these guys I get on and not to make you feel older, but I ask them, who is your fan? What is your fan? And they tell me like, oh, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm, like, I'm guessing you had some different people in your fandom that really hooked yeah. you. And I'm kind of curious who that would have been. My childhood idol was Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, and I wanted to be Buddy Rogers. When I was a kid, I learned to practice strutting like Buddy Rogers, right? I wanted my mother, when I was about 10 years old, to bleach my hair. <laughs> and of course, she wouldn't. Now I don't have to worry about bleaching it. God has done that for me. But I think back and I realize she did me a favor because in 1950 or 51, me to be on the schoolyard with my hair bleached, I'd have been in a fight every day. I probably wouldn't even be here to talk to you. Yeah, I can imagine. You would have had. You would have been a great heel already, though. <laughs> I, I would have been something. I'm not sure why, but I would have been something. Oh, man. That's funny. It's actually really interesting that as a young person, especially in that era, you were attracted to, like, the villain, though. That's very interesting. Oh, I you know, I was, I was a sports – I mean, I first played organized sports at age seven, baseball. You know, and then got involved basketball, football, wrestling, got into drag racing when I was 15 years old, drove on a, drove on a racetrack before I had a driver's license to drive on the street, for God's sake. So I've been an adrenaline junkie, I guess, most of my life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just before we did this, too, I was uh, listening to this video on a comedian who didn't make it for a while and he struggled and they called it and he eventually made it, they called it the starving artist's thing where a lot of people have to go through like these hard sure. times do you feel like you know that that was the case with you too sometimes in wrestling i'm jumping a little ahead here but no it's all right it's fine well you know i don't know that i ever actually starved <laughs> sometimes i thought maybe i should have but well you know i went to boston i broke into the uh, the business yes. in, with tony santos in boston i was 19 years old i lived in a 10 dollar a week rooming house and my first payoff, my first match was July the 4th, 1960. I wrestled twice, singles match and a tag. I got 12 bucks. So I wasn't completely broke. I had 12 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the truth is picking up 15, 20 bucks, 25 bucks. Uh, now for a 19 year old kid li living relatively cheap, if I was making say 125, 150 bucks a week, that's more than a lot of, you know, people working a 40 hour week were making back in 1960. So it was, but you know, the business back then, I mean, it was territories were up, they were down. And that was the great thing about being able to move around. Business fell off one place. You picked up the phone and called, called around to see if you could find another. But, it, you know, there were times that, you know, I remember the rooming house when I watched the Pat Patterson documentary that WWE did, he stands in front of that house. It's 72 Westland Avenue in Boston. And I'm looking at it, watching him stand. He said, this is where I lived. I said, oh, my God, this is a, a six-figure condo now, right? And all of us were living there for 10 bucks a week. <laughs> Crazy. I was talking to my girlfriend Sunday the other day. He's only 10 years old. Tell me what he wants to do. And he's thinking about, like, oh, I want to be a video game tester. I want to do this. And then he just says to me, I want to make a good paycheck. And I said, hey, I said, there's nothing wrong with that. I said, but, you know, try to find out what you love. Like, I'm learning that now. Like, I want to do what I love. And yeah. 
concentrate on that. Did you know that early on? Because you got in wrestling kind of. Yeah, you, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Dave. There was a point between wrestling and drag racing. And I did both up until 1966 when I realized I had to make a choice. Right. Because the way it worked, obviously, racing is in a good weather, good summer. So no matter where I was wrestling, I would have, you know, get back to Cincinnati in the spring. My dad and I get the race car ready. Right. But I was still wrestling in, in like Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, or, you know, Kentucky. But it was well, sometimes wrestle someplace on Saturday night, drive, get, get home at 3 a.m., get a couple hours sleep, get up, hook up the race car, get loaded. I'd climb in the back of the race car to catch a couple more hours of sleep while my dad was driving to the track. Maybe if we had have gotten a full-time sponsor for the race car, I may have gone that route. But we never did, right? We, I mean, we, we did well with the car, but we never had that sponsorship where we could have, it would have been our full-time business, right? So in 66, I realized, I had, you know, the choice had to be made. So wrestling it was. And yeah. I I never look back. I mean, I still watch drag racing. My palms get sweaty, right? <laughs> I want to get that car and go. But yeah, wrestling is who I am. It's what I do. And it's what I have a passion and a love for. That's the bottom line. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned you were trained by Tony Santos. For a lot of people who may not know who Tony Santos, maybe could you give us a little insight? Tony, Tony was actually a promoter. Okay. See, realize back when I broke in, kayfabe, was very much in vogue. This was a closed shop. So this is what I wanted to do. I, I want to get in professional wrestling. How the hell do I do that? I don't know, right? You talk to a referee, say, hey, kid, you need experience. Okay. And where do I get that experience? You can't buy it, right? right. So, you know, after a couple of frustrating years, I picked up a wrestling review magazine. Back then, there were probably seven or eight monthly wrestling magazines on all the newsstands. And so anyway, Wrestling Review had a story on Tony Santos, who was training aspiring young athletes that thought they wanted a career in professional wrestling. And actually, it was the very first wrestling school. 300 bucks is what it cost me for six months. And of course, when I saw this in the magazine, I thought, wow, you know, this is it. You know, I so I, I wrote them a letter and they sent me back a, a trifold, which I still have, by the way. Mm. And gave me the the whole story. So in February 1960, I got on a Greyhound bus in Cincinnati and went to Boston and started my training. And the rest is history, I guess, or somebody's history. But you know, it was uh, they didn't smart. You know, I, when I train people now, or we talk about being smart to the business or getting smartened up, I said, well, I started training in February. Had my first match in July. You know, when they smart me up, July the fourth. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, the first couple of weeks, they just sort of handed me my ass right? <laughs> to see if I was going to stick. I mean, I, I knew it wasn't going to be easy, right? I mean, I, I didn't expect it to be a cakewalk or anything, but I had no idea. what. But, you know, their, their deal back then was we're going to push you, test you, because if you're not sticking, we're sure not going to smarten you up to the inside workings of this business, right? So a few bruises and six months later, I, I earned my stripes. And the funny thing on July, the morning of July the 4th, one of Tony's sons came over to my room. Oh, the rooming house was just across the street from the gym. And he came over and said, dad wants to talk to you. And I'm thinking, it's 4th of July. It's a holiday. Oh, I must be in trouble. I'm, I'm calling the carpet or something. So I went over with a, a little bit nervous. I didn't know what was going on. Well, he said, you know, we've worked hard. You've worked hard. I said, Today is your day. And I'm, he said, you're going to have your first match. 
I don't know what I thought, honestly, at that point in time, right? But anyway, he said, go back, get your bag packed, because I already had boots, jacket, tight trunks. Get your bag packed, come back, you're right, you know, when they, we'll talk until they get here. So basically, that's when he started the smartening up process. How they actually taught us to work back then, Dave, without actually saying it's a work. Right. Was, I mean, they had us down on our fours, you know, you know, shooting with each other. And some of the coaches would get in and, you know, work with you. But sometimes he'd say, okay, you guys, I want you to go through holes, have a little match. But since there's not going to be a winner or a loser, nobody's getting paid, put the holes on, just don't apply pressure. Mm. So they were actually teaching us to work, you know, right. in that respect. So Tony that morning said to me, he said, you know how they have you go through the holes without applying pressure? Yes, sir. Well, that's what you're going to do today. And then from Boston to Blue Hills, Maine, I don't know exactly, maybe 250 miles. I don't know. There were three other wrestlers on this car. Joe Sasso, who was driving. Joe had, uh, was a football player from Boston College. It, he wasn't that, that long in the business either. Cowboy Ronnie Hill, who had come into the gym, at, you know, as, as helped it up with the training. Ronnie was an old carnival shooter and the first match I ever had in my life. And Bull Montana, who I bought tickets to see in Cincinnati when I was a kid, right? So between Boston and Blue Hills, Maine, my education got stronger, right? So they're laying it out for me. But, you know, realize back then, I was, this was spot show for the 4th of July celebration. The ring was set up in the middle of the racetrack at the fairgrounds. And so in shows like that, they sent four wrestlers for three matches. And it was like Ronnie and I worked the opener. Mm -hmm. Bull and Joe worked second match. Then Joe and I came back against Ronnie and Bull in the tag main event. And when you tell these kids today, we put in at least two hours with three matches. <laughs> no way. Way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a completely different era. I mean, even growing up as a fan, I look back at stuff from like, you know, so my time period was more the 80s, you know, early 80s. And right. Stuff. But it's very interesting to see how much the business has just changed. And you know, good or bad, there's, there's both, right? It's really interesting, I think, too. But there are still some great, credible matches that you can yeah. take from any era. And you, you, you must have seen the dragon and the cowboy. I've seen the dragon point, <laughs> yes. Given <laughs> Page, that was one of the best matches I've seen in a while. The first one was the best one, I thought, of the two. Mm. The second one, too many headbutts. I, I want to ask you, well, you just made me think, who were some guys that, as you got into the business, you felt you really learned from? Wow. How many hours do you have? <laughs> Let's take a couple. Now, you know, the funny thing, the funny thing is they talk about how tough the old timers were. Mm -hmm. And take my word for it, it's all true. But you know how they say, well, hurt this kid so he doesn't go on and take my spot. I had a lot of veterans that were so helpful. So, so helpful. I don't know if you can see the poster over my head behind me. Mm. You see Pat Patterson, Patterson yep. versus Les Malady. That's me. Mulaney's my real last name. Okay, okay. Wow. And that was in 1961. So some of these, they were in that rooming house. So Ronnie Dupree, Terry Garvin, Don Kindred, who was wrestled as Black Magic. These guys were, were veterans. I mean, at least five, six years in the business and had worked various territories. So they, we had like our little family you know, there in, in the rooming house. And then Pat, when he came into the territory, lived there as well. So there were so many, so many guys that were so extremely helpful. I think that the point when you hear about the old guy that, you know, the veteran kicking the hell out of the, the it's because the young guy has got his ass on his shoulders and mm. he's 
you know, trying to be something he's not. And that's, if I never learned anything else quickly, it was respect for the wrestling business because them older guys sitting around me here, <laughs> they'll teach me if I don't want to listen. <laughs> right? We can make do it physically or we can do it verbally. I prefer verbally. <laughs> yeah, that's a better way to learn. We just had uh, Al Snow recently, and he made a comment. He said, even to this day, I do something wrong. It will go back to my trainer. He said, they will mention it to him. And if they don't like what they hear, I have to have an answer for him. And I thought, man, that's an interesting thing. I'm guessing it was similar, too. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. Yeah. Al, Al is a hell of a trainer. You mm. know, He's an Ohio boy, too. He's a Buckeye yeah. like me. It does. It, it, it really does. I, I still, well, Nigel McGinnis started with me, right? And we, we still, we worked together booking a year-long tournament in Los Angeles back in 2012 and 13, which solidified the relationship so much. But the amazing thing, I think, for a trainer, or at least for me, with Nigel out there, especially in LA working those, you know, in a promotional manner behind the scenes, I'm watching him and I'm thinking, that's me. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. my words are coming out of his mouth <laughs> stuff. or if something went wrong and he's, you know, getting pissed off. And the first couple of times that happened, he said, what are you laughing? I said, I don't have to get upset anymore. You're doing it for me. I said, you're, you're out less thatchering, less thatcher. <laughs> but, you know, when you see that and you realize something you have done has actually made a difference, you got to be proud of that. You know, you really do. Yeah, that's something you can take in any line of work if anybody's listening to this too. I mean, that's awesome. I want to throw a couple of names at you. There's three of them because we could go all day because you know so many different wrestlers and learn. But there are three guys I was interested in hearing your perspective on. One of them was, you already mentioned a little bit, Pat Patterson. Hell of a worker. He was that, you know, damn near that good in 1961. In Boston, in that territory, I got a chance to work with him three or four times. Amazing. And a great finish, man. Yeah. Great on on story, you know, how to build a great finish. Hell of a sense of humor. I mean, he was a real, real character. He really was. You know, a lot of the guys from back then were multitasking anyway, right? Before the, that phrase ever became popular. Well, you know, him, besides wrestling, helping with booking, management behind it. You mentioned, you know, broadcasting, booking, you know, that sort of thing. That kept you a lot. I mean, it added longevity to your business. Pat was a brilliant and a good guy. When he and his significant other met, that was in Boston. Louis, who they lived together. And in fact, they were at my first wedding. Yeah, that was in, 19, in November of 61. Pat's tremendous talent, tremendous talent. I have a picture somewhere that when I had HWA, you know, working developmental, uh, a lot of the guys from the office in Stanford would come through. When Pat came through, the poster behind me, they had... Me stand on one side, him on the other, and us pointed our names, right? And I've got a picture of that somewhere. So great memories. Yeah. I'm poor, but I got great memories. <laughs> well, you can be rich in many ways, as you know, you know. Well, you introduced me. Somebody will introduce me, you know, and say, did this, this, this. It's not everything in the business. I said everything to get rich. And it's probably a little late to start on that now. Louis, how well did you know his partner, Louis? You don't hear a lot about Louis. Like he's I, there, I, there forever. No, just initially, right? Before I left Boston, nice guy, really yeah. nice guy, intelligent. Fun, a little funny story to show how he bought Pat a doll. Now I realize we lived in a rooming house, not a 12 room, not two rooms, but a rooming house, right? So Pat 
try it. But then the landlord found out. And so Louie had to take the dog back to his house. Pat couldn't keep him any longer. But, you know, that's a, that's an amazing relationship, too, for those yeah. two guys. That really, really was. For that time period, too, and the longevity to be together forever, like, God bless them. Well, you know, my, my education in different types of people actually st- realized I naive Midwestern kid, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and in Boston with all the arts and, and the music. And so gay is not an uncommon occurrence, right? So that was sort of an education in a way too. Who are these people? Right. <laughs> right. Now, I'll, I'll throw two more names at you. We had talked about, you had mentioned reference the tough guys from the old territory. One guy I think that's synonymous, we always hear with tough guy, Harley Race. Yeah, I'd say. (laughs) Dear friend, I I miss him still. God, yes. Harley and I first met and wrestled each other in 1963 out of the Kansas City office. Harley was 19 and I was 22. And we became friends. And of course, then later we did the training camps together, the super camps with uh, Steamboat, the three of us. Started elite pro wrestling training. When Harley first did the NOAA week-long camps at his school, I was one of the, co- the coaches there. Now, Harley and his wife spent time in our home. My wife and I spent time in their home, the family, you know, through the business. Harley, you're right, pushed the wrong buttons, and he was as lethal as a rattlesnake. But underneath that, he was a teddy bear. He was a lovely, lovely person. I have a a statue in my living room, I can't show it to you, of James Brown. You know who James Brown is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's battery operated. It has, he's, I forget the song on it. I haven't played it in a while. That was in Harley's office in Eldon, Missouri. And I for, I said, oh my God, because I knew Harley wasn't a fan, right? I said, and I'm a big R&B fan, love R&B. And I'm, he said, get that down. Take it. <laughs> Take it. <laughs> but yeah, just a super, super guy. You, you talk to any of the kids that trained with him, mm. they realize you didn't want to step on his toes or make the wrong move. But if you were doing what you were supposed to be doing, he was a sweetheart of a guy. He really was. Extreme talented. I say a dear friend. I'll tell you the truth. Over over a lot of the guys you're talking about over the last few years, I, I told a young friend of mine here a while back, I'm almost out of tears, you know, mm. because the camaraderie that we had in the 60s and the 70s, it's not the same today. I mean, I'm not here. I'm not getting into I'm old school and you're right. But it's not it's because it's a different era. Back then, we had to cover each other's back in the ring, right? Because there were riots. People got cut. Fans wanted to jump in and fight. I mean, pull guns and all sorts of crazy stuff. So regardless of you're wrestling this guy, you still got a, you got his back and he's got yours, right? And uh, of course, you don't worry about that much anymore. I don't. You, you may find a drunk fan that wants to run into the ring, but but nobody's going to start a riot over you know the heel beating the baby face in, in an illegal manner. But that's the way it was back then. You know, if you'd have seen Harley in his home in Eldon, I've I've told this to a lot of people. I mean, you'd see Harley and you see the big guy, and you've heard the tough reputation. And he had a little Chihuahua that would jump up and sit in his easy chair with him and snuggle down between the arm and Harley's hip. Right. And Harley sit there and pet that little dog. And that, that was, it was, I said, the guys who are scared of him need to see this because it's so, believe me, it's the other side of the coin completely. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that this day too, the people he worked with, even I'll take Trevor Murdoch and Nick Aldis 
on NWA had a few a while back where they mentioned Harley. You could see the passion coming out. Well, Trevor used to train with us at those week-long camps at Eldon. Here's the crazy. I don't know if he still owns it or not, but there was a, a bar, a restaurant bar in Eldon that we all would go to at the end of the day, right? And Trevor bought that bar a number of years ago. Now, I don't know if he still owns it or not, but he, he did for a while. But yeah, Trevor, I was glad to see Trevor get to shop with the belt. Yeah. To be honest with you, checking that midsection, he moves pretty damn well for a fat man. <laughs> he does. When I first saw it, you know, coming back, I thought, Trev, <laughs> think maybe need to dump a pound or two. He gets around pretty damn good. He's a good kid, too. Good kid. Yeah, I'll say this, too. It wasn't really playing, but one thing about that particular thing and, you know, like those guys being more old school, I thought that was one of the first times. And it's not, you know, not AEW. It's not a main, you know, but, but I thought it was one of the better stories that was told. You know, it was really, it really kind of reminded me a little of like a Dusty Flair type thing, almost a common sure. man. Yeah. Well, you know, here's the crazy thing, Dave. Let's be honest about it. I'm not going to change what's going on in the business today. And I'm not going to tell you I think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened because I don't. But some of the silly storylines or angles, nobody believes. I'm not sure the value of that because the values of storylines, or as we call them, angles, bring you into the building, right? Not necessarily make you stay home and laugh, but to get you into the building. And it's not that hard a job. And I honestly, I, I don't expect the business to go back. I, I, that has never been on my mind. But if I had a large national promotion today, let's say I'm going to have a two-hour TV and I'm going to put eight matches on. Four of those matches are going to be wrestling matches, like I just mentioned, the Dragon and the Cowboy, right, from AEW. Or, or, or you know, any type of good, solid mat work, wrestling matches. And then we'll put four on that satisfy the circus people who want to see flip-flop, 10,000 dives, 40,000 broken tables, on and on and on. But to me, when everybody's a character, when everybody's a gimmick, how does your gimmick stand out? Dusty, when Dusty passed away, uh, uh, several young guys, friends of mine, you know, we talked about it. said, well, you were, you know, when he was red hot as American Dream. I said, yeah, sure. I said, one of the things you probably don't stop to think about that made him was he was the only Dusty Rhodes. There weren't 10,000 of him. Everybody wasn't a gimmick. I know now some people say, oh, you were a professional wrestler. And I say, yeah. What was your gimmick? I was a wrestler. And they look at you like, what are you talking about, right? But that's my problem with the bit. Today, it's too much of everything. So nothing is special. If you're the champion and you defend the title every week, what makes that special? Or if the belt changes hands every other week, it's no big deal either. When you watch WWE and everybody that comes out this guy was 10 times this champion. This guy was three times this champion and two times that champ. Where's the balance there? You know, where's the high and the low? There is yeah. we're running along. We're flatlining. Absolutely. Les, I'll tell you, too, just to draw a comparison. As a fan, I remember growing up as a kid, like I said, in the 80s, and it was so good, but I didn't realize it. I was like, oh, why are these big matches on these house shows? Why can't I just go see him? You know, but that was the trick right now. That would make you want to go or when it was rarely on TV. Oh, we got a special. Now you loved it. And some of the storylines now are so unbelievable. Right. That I, I just roll my eyes and say, whatever. Right. It's just, well, I, I thought funny. I'm sure you check all the headlines and read about all that's going on. That Nick Khan said that the reason they were cleaning the house and changing things, especially in NXT, was Vince thought it was time to, to sit at the 
adult table. I thought, how about putting some adult content into your program and then maybe you've earned your spot at the adult table, mm -hmm. you know? And again, we had some comedy, but it was accidental. Mm. Nobody set out to be funny, you know? Cornette went to swing the racket at somebody. They ducked and he tripped and fell and he'd been pissed off and people, but he didn't, he didn't take a pratfall. It wasn't Chevy Chase on Saturday Night Live, for God's sakes, right? That's the difference. There's a fine line, Dave, between believability and bullshit. And the problem is that we've always crossed it at some point, but jump back at. Yeah. Today, they cross it and stay on the other side, hang out over there, buy lunch, and, and hang a house number out, right? And get their mail there. I'm not interested. Thank you. Right. Yeah, because I, I, it makes so perfect sense when you're saying too, because I mean, like any great storytelling, the idea, whether it's a book, a movie, same as for us, I mean, you got to suspend disbelief. And how can you suspend disbelief if these stories are so unbelievable? Absolutely, sure. And it can be done today. Actually, easier probably now because of so much of the, the nonsensical, horrible comedy is that, well, I'll give you an example. This can't happen, obviously, now. Or it could, I guess. But an example I used a couple of years ago to people, I said, you want to make people start talking. And how we got on this subject is you remember when Lesnar opened Randy Orton up. Yep. Was it accidental? Was it a shoot? Right. Nobody knew, but it created a hell of a interest, right? Everybody's talking about it. Why? Because it was out of the norm, right? Yeah, so my story, yeah. let's say two, two heels are beating the hell out of a baby face in the ring. John Cena is going to make the save, but he's going to be in street clothes and no music. Mm. Now, after almost 62 years, I will guarantee you that a few people in that building and people at home in different places are going to think, that's not part of the show. There's no music. And John didn't have his shorts on. Right. You know, his whole gimmick, you've got to talk it if you go with that. But we got to step over. Right. right. It, it's almost like now it's like, listen, Dave, I want you to watch my show. I don't want you to believe the damn thing. OK. Right. It's all bullshit. <laughs> it's all comedy. Have a good time. <laughs> you know, we went on that. We went down this rabbit hole. But I do want to ask. There was one other guy I want to ask you about. You actually had referenced him a little bit, too. So before I forget, we have a lot of listeners who are a big fan of this guy, given the time period. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. What a superhuman being. Yes. And several people have said it. I'll say it. Probably the best damn baby face I've ever seen in six, almost 62 years. If you try to make him a heel, somebody should have shot the booker that did that. If, if, <laughs> yeah. Ricky's a dear friend, too. You know, he and Harley and I put out a training manual, which is out of print now, but I think you can get it on eBay. Amazon used to have it called It's a Pro Wrestler's Workout and Instructional Guide. The forward by Jim Ross and Alex Marvez helped put it, the whole thing together. But Ricky, Ricky and Harley and I had a great time doing training together. But I've known Ricky since, well, he first came into the Carolinas, right? Just a, a you know, just getting his feet wet. And Lord, did, did he get him wet? He was... But you know what? Ricky doesn't know how good Ricky is. Mm. He's very unassuming. He, he truly is. If you remember when uh, he and Jericho had the match on a Monday night, it's been, but a funny quick aside about that. Jericho and Benoit were the first main event at my first Pillman Memorial mm. show, right? And I invited Chris to come back the second year. Well, G Benoit did. Jericho had to go on the Bruise Cruise or whatever the hell. WWE, oh, yeah. WWE, uh, 
Yeah, WCW was doing it at the time. And our phone, because he called me and told me, he said, I can't make He said, and, and it makes me mad. I said, why? He said, because Steamboat's going to be there. That was the first year at Ricky King. He said, Steamboat's going to be there, and I'm a big mark for Steamboat. So that night, then they had that match, and I'm sitting at home watching, and I'm thinking, mm. you know, Jericho's in, in seventh heaven now. He's, he's, he's marking out for the guys in the rig with, right? But after that match, it was, it was a good match, right? So a couple of days later, Ricky and I are on the phone and I said, man, what you guys had a hell of a match. That was really good. You think? I said, he said, they were chanting, you still have it. You, or I still got, you still got it. I said, listen to me. Okay. Right this minute, you are a better worker than 50% of that roster. Okay. I don't care what your age is. You know, you know more about how to make the people pop than half the guys out there. But yeah, he's, well, when they wanted him to come be a producer, right? He and a buddy of his, that we were doing camps at the time. He and a buddy of his had a garage up in Mooresville, North Carolina, where they repaired boats and cars. And his son, Richie, was driving racing stock cars at the time as well, right? We were down at my, my stepdaughter's in Charlotte. So anyway, I, I had called and Ricky's wife said, Rick wants to talk to you. So you're going up to the, the shop. And I said, yeah, I sure am. So I went up and I said, what do you want to talk about? He said, come over here. He said, John Laurie called me. I said, yeah. He said, they want me to come and be an agent. I said, oh man, that's great. He looked, he said, you think I can do that? <laughs> I want to smack him. <laughs> can you? I think so. <laughs> yes. But that's him. You know, yeah. he, you know, you, you've heard the guy who does know his own strength. Ricky doesn't know his own talent. <laughs> he truly doesn't. But he's a gentleman. He's a he's a class act. He really is. Love him to death. Love him to death. Les, I wasn't going to mention, I actually forgot about this. When you mentioned that Pillman Memorial Show, I grew up a big Brian Pillman fan. What was your relationship with Pillman? And it, was it you or who was involved with putting on the Pillman Memorial Show? That was my brain. For, okay. <laughs> brain aneurysm or whatever. <laughs> well, we're both Cincinnati boys, right? Yes. So Bendles, by the way, they uh, they at least got to the Super Bowl. I was with you. I was with you on that one. I wanted to yeah. be in Talk about great stories, right? Yes. They weren't even expected to win their division. But anyway, when Brian started wrestling, I wasn't even at home. Like my mom or my, my dad, somebody sent me some clippings because they were doing, you know, local boy played for the Bengals, going to be a pro wrestler. Okay. So when I came in off the road in 1985 and moved back to Cincinnati. I started working with bodybuilders and John Perillo performance. Uh, John has a line of supplements and trainings regimen, but he also, we worked with professional and amateur athletes, right? And a bodybuilder that I knew there was growing up with Brian, but I had never met Brian at the time. But of course people say, Brian Pilton, Cincinnati, you're, you must know him. Now, before I met him, how I got to know about him this after I moved home is I might be in the gym on a Monday morning and somebody say, Hey, you're over the across the river in, in Kentucky at the bar the other night. Pillman's in town. You just beat the hell out of so-and-so over there, right? So I met him. At, uh, he came into the Perillo's office and that's where Brian and I first met. And he sent me a young man who, to train. But then once he came back off the accident, right? And he was trying to get back in ring shape. He came up and worked out at my place. And uh, it talk about frustrating. It was frustrating for me to watch him, right? Because he was trying different types of boots and trying to work out something where he could jump off the top buckle. And I told him, I said, you can keep landing on a good foot, but then it's going to end up being his 
you know, you just, you're going to have to, you know, temper down your offense and just do more, you know, more, more serious math stuff. So we, we didn't get to be the closest of friends, but I certainly understood his desire, his passion for the business and his frustration. And at, at his age, it might be almost over. Right. So the night he died, we were a bunch of the kids that I was training were at my house. And the, the young man that, that he had sent me was there. And just they announced Brian's passing on the phone. The young kid that he had sent to me had just gotten off the phone with Brian's wife and telling him about it. So we just started thinking about it. It was nobody ever made it, thought it would be as big as it was. Nobody ever thought it would be four shows, right? Hey, let's run a little keyword, little benefit show, you know, memorial show for Brian's family. Okay. So what started out as a little show grew into a monster. When at first, you know, we got Benoit and, and Jericho were main event for the first show. We used a lot of our, you know, local guys, guys out of OVW and, and HWA because Danny and Jimmy and I were buddies anyway, regardless of who we were tied together. And the first show was in Brian's junior high school gym in Norwood, Ohio. We turned away four or 500 people. I mean, we never expect in a, in a drizzle. Right. People are lined up outside to get wow. in. We had four of the wrestlers that for the VIP pass, you got a Polaroid with them. Right. It was Al Snow, Benoit, Jericho, Chris Candido and Sonny. And we had so many that they stayed after the matches were over to finish up getting the pictures taken. Right. And I, I had no idea it was going to be as big as it was. And I was dead tired the next day. And I'm sitting at my desk at the gym and thinking, can we do this again and make it a little bit better? Yeah, we can do that. So three more years, three more Pillman shows. And they grew so, I mean, my God, have you, have you seen the Pillman anthology, the 20th anniversary? Mm, mm. The, the crazy thing about it, Dave, is these guys showed up on their day off. They could have been right. home playing with the kids or sleeping or drinking beer and getting drunk, right? And if you watch those shows, nobody phoned it in. Everybody busted their butt. And so the second show became the third show, and the third show became the fourth show. We raised over $120,000 for the family over the four years. And I am so proud of the volunteers and the wrestlers. I mean, what an accomplishment. We Well, it got so big, we started having a committee meeting for the people that helped with transportation and the photo suits and everything. Seven months before the damn show. Every Monday night, we'd get together at HWA for a meeting. And at the after the fourth, when it was uh, pretty much, well, she had remarried, right? A couple of guys had mentioned that. And some of these guys, well, Benoit would have been on the fourth one, if he hadn't had the neck surgery. I don't know if you've seen the Benoit Regal match from oh, yes. 2000. Yes. yes. <laughs> I've a wrestling match, my friend. You've never seen one. Right. <laughs> that is old school in modern setting. Mm. I use it as a teaching tool. A lot of guys do. Man, after that match, I already knew about Pillman, the fourth one, 2001, because I had my title already picked out. Benoit Regal, the return, Pillman, 201. And it would have drawn, you bet your ass it would have drawn, right? Except Chris had the neck surgery and Steve called me and he said, Les, I'll do anything you ask on the show. He said, but I can't have that kind of match with just anybody. And I don't want to let Chris down and I don't want to let you down either. So I'll come and do anything you ask. I said, I agree with you hundred percent. So he came as a VIP guest 
and otherwise we but every year something was special right mm. the first year just the, the show itself was so crazy special the second year was mark curtis's last time out uh, can, can i tell you that story real absolutely quick? maybe three weeks four weeks before that pillman the second pillman i'm i'm running training school a training class and somebody comes in and says Mark Curtis's wife's on the phone. And he's talked to you. Of course, you know, he had stomach cancer and they had a port in him or feeding through the port. So I went to answer the phone and Pam says, I'm get, I wanted you to know we're taking him to the hospital. His weight's dropping too fast. We want them to do something. But he wanted me to call you and say, when you heard this, he will be at the Pillman show. Right. And I hear him in the background yelling, tell him I'm going to be there. Tell him I'm not missing that Pillman show. And I said, tell him to shut up, go to the hospital and get well, right? So day of the show, we had planned for him to make uh, referee the main event. The main event was going to be Conan and Ray Ray Mysterio against Benoit and Malenko. So I, I was afraid maybe that'd be too taxing on him, right? Because of his illness. So Terry Taylor was wrestling. Who was he? Oh, Tom Pritchard, Dr. Tom. So I said, Brian, do this match, right? This will be a little easier on you. Hmm. So he did. So I, I was doing my own ring announcing that year. So I'm out for the main event and I'm waiting for a referee. And the one that comes to the door, guess who? <laughs> right. So he gets in the ring and I'm, I said, I thought you weren't good. Les, I want to do this. I said, do you think you can get it? Can you get through this? He said, yeah. He said, are you going to watch the match from ringside? I said, yeah. Well, if I can't make it, you can carry me to the back, can't you? Talk about somebody that was a great human being. Mark Curtis loved that man so, so much and missing. But that was so special about that show, right? And then, of course, the, the Regal Benoit match in the third show. The fourth show, Dean Malenko announces his retirement, mm. right? So there was just something about those shows that were extra, you know? But you realize, too, that if you wanted to see ECW, WCW and WWF all in one building in the same night, you had to come to my show. And I was proud of that too, Dave, because I figured those companies trusted me to give everybody, you know, equal billing and not try to, you know, push somebody to the front and, and push somebody to the back. But yeah, that was a great thing about those shows. It really was. My producer is in the comments. He's loving this interview, and he actually wants me to ask this question. It gets asked a lot. What are your Mount Rushmore for wrestling minds? <laughs> wow. I, I've, I have known so many great Right. Things, right. I, I don't know. That's I know you're only supposed to put four, four hands right. on Mount Rushmore. There's probably a ton. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to find a big Mount Rushmore for all these. <laughs> probably one of my mentors, and, and to me, one of the greatest bookers I've ever known was Leo Garibaldi. Mm. Amazing. George Scott was a great booker. Eddie Graham, magnificent, you know, and the, all the great bookers had something in common. They were all wrestlers. Mm. And now we have a, a lot of bookers. I didn't say great, did I? <laughs> and have never taken a bump in their life. How does that work? Yeah. I'm a radio commentator, but I never listened to radio. Right. How do you get that passion, that experience, if you can't pull from it? You can't. And if you've never been in that ring, you really don't know the, the feel of the ebb and flow of a match. And, you know, it's I've, I've said to people, if Ernest Hemingway came back from the grave and wanted to write wrestling, would I let him? Sure. But I'd have somebody like Tully Blanchard or Arn Anderson or somebody sit down with a red pencil. 
Mm. You say, this is too far. You've gone too far. This is not far enough. Yeah. Because if you haven't done it, you can't. Well, you know, stop thinking about it. Uh, if you, the great actors of the, the movies. Uh, if they're going to play a part of someone or something that they've never, what do they do? They study it, right? Right. You know? So when I hear this guy wrote great comedy for this network or he wrote, I don't care. Yeah. If I want to watch great comedy on the network, then he's my guy. I heard someone say recently that when you're coming up and you look back at the great creative ideas, there's usually multiple people actually involved. Meaning like to your point, I think, sure, you can contribute, but you better have someone who actually did it in there as well. Great bookers, yes. Well, let's say you and I are having a match, right? And, and the booker's sitting down with us, right? He's going to say, here's what I figure, guys, and here's what I got to look for the finish. Dave, what do you think? And you may throw out a little something, and, and then I'll say, and I'll throw out a little something, right? He may use both our somethings. He may use neither one, or it may give him an idea to change something yet that none of us have come up with, right? Well, you know, and that's one of the problems that I have because, to me, if I have a roster of 30 people, I want all of them to be creative or to be able to contribute if they're asked to, right? And so I don't want someone coming up to me and saying, hey, you're going to be a lawyer. What? I don't know. Either. Well, you're a lawyer anyway, <laughs> right? It doesn't work that way. No. You're going to take the greatest actors or actresses, and you're going to look at what they've done, and you're going to try to book them in the things that were in, in the same category that they were successful in, that they drew money in, right? You're not just going to say, well, she's got a pretty face. I'll put her in this. Well, she's never been in that. It doesn't matter. That's where I want her. No, it's, uh, and I, I don't mean to sound like, well, old school. It's not that. Everything evolves. Right. But this business could be so much better. Could Because they're not drawing everyone in. And if they think they are, they're smoking better stuff than anybody. <laughs> I just heard someone say that too. I've been Eric Bischoff or something. We're talking about like, that's the one thing that he wishes. You know, that we, we always look for ideas how to draw in a new audience or more audience. He says, I don't feel like that's happening. You don't see no, an actual new audience. Yeah. You want to talk about a current great mind, a guy that so many people hate. Ah. You, you tell me the name. I'm thinking Jim Cornette, but I don't know if he's current, but he's a guy that popped in my head. Okay. <laughs> as soon as you said, said, Hey, I'm like, when yeah. people say that. I said, let me say this. I understand you don't like the way Jim presents his opinion, mm -hmm. but no matter how he presents the opinion, pay attention to the opinion because 90% of the time, Jimmy is spot on. Mm -hmm. To me, that is one of the most brilliant minds in this business that's still above ground. And he, they don't like what he said. I understand why they don't like what he said, because he's right. None of us like to know we're wrong, especially <laughs> when we know it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's interesting too. I mean, I know he recently, uh, not to up another mind, Jim Ross recently went through some stuff and he's getting a lot of support. But before that, I remember he was getting some people online and were mad at him because maybe he mispronounced the name or something. I'm like, this is one of the greatest announcers of all time. Like I was, I tuned in as a kid. I found Mid-South Wrestling. It popped up. I was living in New Jersey and I'm like, what is this? And it was Jim Ross was one of those key guys that drew me in because of his passion. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, well, now you asked for your your... Producer asked for a Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I can't. I can give you what I think is my Mount Rushmore for announcer. For yeah, sure. I, I don't call them announcers. Commentators. Announcers. Yeah. The guy that gets in the ring. Okay. And I have been blessed to work with a Mount Rushmore of wrestling commentators. Jim Ross, 
Gordon Soley, Lance Russell, Bob Cottle. There you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> if, that's not, if that's not Mount Rushmore, I don't know where the hell it's at. <laughs> and, and another guy who's not real famous, but is a talented commentator is Charlie Platt, who did Southeastern out of Dothan, Alabama for years. He just never was in a big market, but I worked with Charlie down there some. But yeah, working with those four guys that I mentioned, people say, how was it? I said, easy. Yeah. <laughs> and I learned a lot. You know, that's the thing in this business. You should never stop learning. I say, I've been doing this almost 62 years and I still find ways to improve or, or see something I've never seen. Some, some things I see, I've never seen. I don't want to see again, but some I think, yeah, I was, I want to steal that, you know? So you, yeah, you should never stop learning. It's interesting. You just said that. Cause I was going to ask you this because right. You always want to improve on something. So even though you broke in at a good time, a lot of people helped you train, you become a trainer. So what were some things maybe you said, okay, I want to incorporate this or was there something you look for? Something different? It's it's a whole different way now too, because when these guys come to me or Tom Pritchard or Rip Rogers or whoever, Rudy Gonzalez, they're very smart to the business. They think, but they've watched it, right? And they've talked to people. They're not really smart to the business. It's just an opinion that they have, <laughs> not the trainers. That makes it tougher, honestly, because you have to break some of their perceptions you have to I, I think a lot of kids today that watch wrestling and get you know get excited about it i want to be a wrestler it's all an act i can be an actor if you can be an actor that gets hurt yeah. if you can be an actor that understands how to create something you know it part of it is acting but i i think it's funny too you know back in the 60s and 70s when i was wrestling you'd sold it somebody you guys are all actors right and you say no we're not and then if they're still alive today and they've watched some of hogan's movies or some of the stupid comedy on WWE or AEW, they know we're not actors, right? <laughs> right. But yeah, I think that business needs to settle down just to, just across the board. Yeah. I think we, well, here's the thing. You do too much of anything and it becomes commonplace, right? All right, I'm going to, are you married? Uh, no, no, divorced. Got a girlfriend, living I do have a girlfriend, yes. All right. Okay. There's a story, but we'll talk after. But anyway. <laughs> All right. You remember the first time you saw her naked? Yes, of course. <laughs> of course you do. Of course you do. We all do. You remember the 300th time. Don't bother to answer. I know the answer. And it is no. That's all our answers because why? It becomes commonplace, right? Before this week is out and you get done watching wrestling, how many dives do you think you're going to see? I thought about this recently. <laughs> how many broken tables are you going to see? Right. How many right. of the same spots done over and friggin' over and over are you going to see? So what I just explained about you and your girlfriend are exactly the same about wrestlers and wrestling fans. They watch it, but it's not the same anymore. And then you do it over and over and over. You know, we use the same finishes sometimes, but never in the same town a week after a week later, maybe a year later or in a different town. Right. That's my biggest problem is it's, it is so, I, I hate to use the word scripted because if it's scripted, a lot of these people can't read, I'm thinking. Because they, if it's scripted, it's not good scripts. And the people aren't actors anyway, you know? And it's, to me, I just want to see a little more. Again, like we mentioned earlier, I want to, I want to draw Dave in. I, I right. want to, you know, I want him to say, man, you should have watched that one. I'm not sure he didn't really kick his, you know. I think it, it's it touched on something. I'm going to give you a couple more questions, but I, I just want to say this. I think you touched on something. It's not even just pro wrestling either anymore. Like, 
I think oversaturation just in, in, in like how many times Netflix just releases something out, everybody binge watches and oh, I'm gonna do this. And it's created this market. And it's funny because I watched something completely out of wrestling recently. Uh, Disney Plus, they had like The Mandalorian. You watch this show, but they were releasing it every week, one episode. And I like that because I like maybe it's the pro wrestling. Draw me in, make me wait a week, build that anticipation up. That's what I enjoy. I don't want to watch all eight episodes in one day. <laughs> do, you, do you watch TV dramas? Sure. Have you seen Yellowstone? No, that's one I've been to check out, though. Okay. Get on it, boy. Okay. Did you watch Justified? Yes, 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 yes. Love Justified. Raylan Gibbons, if I, ran a, if I was running a promotion, mm-hmm. found the right guy, He's going to use that gimmick as his baby. He's going to be my head baby face. And I want to use that, the, their theme music off of, off of Justified. I just thought that was great. But you stop and think about it. He's the perfect baby face. Right. He made his comebacks. He sold. He had his ups. He had his downs. He was never Superman. And he always, and why do you keep going back every week? Because they leave you wanting more. Right. right? It's amazing. The older I got too, it's, I was telling someone like, how much real everything else going on is like pro wrestling from politics to, you know, you'll see certain wrestlers, not wrestlers, but certain people maybe in basketball or football, you'll see them starting to play like a character almost or doing something or Conor McGregor in the UFC. MMA is a great example of it. You see these and even boxing, you see these different people trying to get over what they're saying in interviews. And I'm like, man, everybody used to tell me wrestling wasn't real. Bullshit. Wrestling's real. It's everything else. It's yeah, everything exactly. Else. Exactly. Sure. <laughs> But you're right. You know, it's, you know, the great promos of our era. They, well, if Wahoo McDaniel grabbed that microphone and said, next Friday night, I'm going to kick Dave's ass. Mm. The people watching went to the bank with that. Right. Because they knew who he was. He projected that. They believed what he was saying. And if you didn't believe any of it, I know him personally, he would have kicked your ass. <laughs> he was capable. Talk about some of the baddest, serious, bad, tough guys. That was one, too, right there, Wahoo. But, yes, some of these promos are, well, they're mouthing somebody else's words. That's the problem, too. Some of those kids that are bad promos now on any of these shows are, 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 I shouldn't say bad, or just, you know, average or mediocre. If you cut them loose, some of them may be the next who? Jim Cornette, the next, you know. Rick, whoever, if you're putting words in their mouth and that's what they're doing, they're, they're saying your words with your passion, basically. Right. Right. And yeah, it's, it's, I, I think too micromanaged and too, you know, programmed or written improv is what this business was made about. That's the beauty of it. That's, that's the passion that comes out is when, well, when not recently, but Cody Rhodes, you mentioned all this earlier. Yep. The match that Rhodes and Aldis had for the NWA belt. Okay. I said that match in Chicago. Yeah. I don't care who else was on the card. It was insignificant. When they went to the ring, the match was already over before the bell rang to start it. Why? Because these two guys did serious promos talking about the other guy's weaknesses, how I want the belt. Cody's talking about the history with his dad. Aldis is saying, but they're not doing a stupid crap, right? Or any goofiness, right? They did wrestling promos for a wrestling match. Isn't that clever? Mm-hmm. It's almost like, where'd they think that up at, right? But that's my point. You bought it. I bought it. Yeah. Now, I, I, I don't think Cody is the greatest technical wrestler. He's a solid worker. He's not a great worker. 
but his promos get his little butt over. They do. And it's a different promo from his dad, but still the sincerity of those promos, you know? Absolutely. All right. Two more things I want to just ask you. One of them is you received the Art Abrams Lifetime Achievement Award. Yes. Tell everybody a little bit about Art Abrams and what this award meant to you. I never met Art Abrams. (laughs) Art was one of the original officers of Cauliflower Alley. Okay. That's who the award is named after. I've met a lot. Other people that I I can't give everybody's name, but if I say Danny Hodge has that award, so that means I've got it too. Okay. That's all I need to hear. (laughs) If I've got something Danny's got, I'm good. But another legitimate badass too, by the way. (laughs) But he talked to you like your grandpa. Mm. Dave, how you doing? Right? He was the sweetest assassin that I've (laughs) ever met in my life. That's awesome. Well, Les, why don't we wrap this up by just telling people, is there anything that you want to tell people you have coming up or anything? Let me give you my address and send me money. How's that? <laughs> well, you know, around this part, of the, I'm available for weekend training camps or one-day seminars. They can reach me, lesthatcher28 at gmail.com. If they're interested, I'll send them out all the information. And I have a three. we have three sets of videos out with Joe Dombrowski and myself, The Lost Developmental tapes. That's Memories from the Heartland, part number one. Number two, both are two DVD sets, over six hours of content, of matches. And realize HWIF. We had Rosie, you know, Umaga, you know, Shannon Moore, Charlie Haas. I mean, Haku, we had a crew of guys. And also, we have out a four-disc set. We've talked about the Pillman shows, the 20th anniversary Pillman Anthology. It's got all four shows, complete with extras, interviews, the auctions that were at those shows and so forth, 15 hours of content with interviews from some some of the guys that took part. Brian Jr. and I do a little bit at the the beginning. And on all three of the sets that I'm talking about, Joe and I do voiceover and give more background, right? Joe does more like the play-by-play, and and I'll throw in some of the stories from the background that you you don't see. You can get those at joe-dombrowski.com. ProWrestlingLibrary.com or PillmanShow.com. Check them out. And I'm very proud of all those. But yeah. And hey, I've had fun. Are we done already? Yeah. (laughs) We go about an hour, but I'll tell you what, Les, honestly, I feel like we have plenty more we could talk about in the future. So, you know, I won't (laughs) burden you like every week, but maybe a couple months down the line. Listen, I've enjoyed it, Dave, and let's do it again. Absolutely. You know, Thank you. There Lance. might be something else I'd rather talk about, but I don't know what that would be. All right. So that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please, Continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 